coffee at this church is off the hook. I just want to say to those of you who are in the coffee ministry, may the Lord richly bless you. Um, so I'm a little hyped up. I've had like nine of those, okay? Um, but, but listen, we're going to do something a little bit different today. I think uh, you, you've kind of getting clued in, um, and it is true that I'm lazy, but this has nothing to do with lazy. I'm thinking I might put in a Barker lounger in here next week, <laughs> see how that goes. But um, the truth is, uh, I've invited a guest to share with us today, and we're not going uh, uh, to have him preach, which would be a treat in itself, but we're going to do kind of an interview, and the two of us are going to talk about the topics that we've been dealing with, and in a minute, you're going to meet him and get a chance to find out more about him, but he has expertise to share from a perspective that um, is unique, uh, both in the area of politics and in the area of sexuality. So we're gonna be kind of revisiting the sexuality part and mixing it into the politics part this morning. Um, and so it's gonna be a great time. I really trust that the Lord's gonna bless you. So let me introduce my friend Jim Doman and ask him, bring your family with you so we can say hi. There's your mic. So this is Pastor Jim, and who are these lovely people with you? All right, this is my family. Oh, you want to say something, Riker? What do you want to say? Can you say your Bible verse? Riker speaks in tongues. Does anyone yeah. have an interpretation? So uh, Riker is 18 months. Uh, my wife, Amanda. And, oh, hold on. It's, it's your sister's next. And then uh, we're pregnant with uh, baby number three. Yay! Baby uh, Asher Elizabeth, she'll be born or is due uh, August 1st. So hold on, it's your sister's turn. So, hey, can you share with the church, what's your name? Aliyah. And how old are you, Aliyah? Oh, okay, I've wiped off right Yeah, yeah. How old are you? Three, no, four. Yeah, four, that's right. <laughs> you turned four. Can you share your Bible verse this morning? Our Father art in heaven, hallowed be my name. My kingdom come, my will be done, on earth as is heaven. Kiss this day our daily bread, and kiss our trespasses, as we forgive our trespasses against us. Lead us not into temptation, but to love us from evil. Send us the kingdom, and the power, and the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Good. So that's hard to follow. Yeah, thanks service, for doing that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Last service, we're, uh, we're, she's learning the 23rd Psalm, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and she just learned John 3.16. Well, I want her to do the Lord's Prayer. Well, she said John 3.16. Yeah. She goes, Daddy, I'm doing the Lord's Prayer next service. Like, yeah, she's okay. got to figure From it out. From the mouth of a four-year-old. And I, I will say that we, go ahead and have a seat. I will say that, uh, you know, we were quoting some scripture ourselves last service, but I think she got it more accurate than we did. Yeah. So. <laughs> Good. So let me guys, let me introduce you guys to Jim. Uh, Pastor Jim Doman is uh, the director of a ministry called Church United, which is all about gathering um, pastors and churches sort of across denominations and all of that, particularly in the state of California, in order to sort of unite and come together on what unites us. And you're going to hear more about that in a few minutes. Um, but Jim and I went to seminary together a long time ago. And, uh, and met then, and then uh, after seminary, we graduated, <clears throat> went our different directions, reconnected a few years back, and um, I've started getting involved with Church United and what they're doing, and just rekindling my friendship with Jim. 
And, and I thought, you know, as we wrap up this series of awkward, strange things to talk about in church, it might be uh, helpful just to invite Jim, because he's awkward and strange. Yeah, try to, live, <laughs> try to live some of those awkward and strange things, so, not just talk about it. Yeah, so uh, he has perspective, as I started to say earlier, on, on uh, some of these topics from an angle that many of us don't. And there's a lot we can learn from him. Um, and so uh, he has some expertise kind of in the area of uh, sexuality and, and all that's going on in the world that way and how we as Christians can be light in that um, issue. And then also because uh, Church United is uh, involved in getting uh, pastors and churches to sort of wake up about their role as citizens in this country and get involved. So um, I think what we're going to do is just kind of do an interview style, and I'm going to ask Jim to just kind of tell us a little bit about his story. So, you know, where you came from, what kind of family did you grow up in, all that stuff. Why don't you just kind of introduce Sounds yourself Sounds good. That way. All right. So I grew up here in Southern California. Uh, I've got a younger brother and a younger sister. My dad was an L.A. County Sheriff. He's now retired. And uh, my mom was a um, Christian school librarian. Grew up in a, uh, I really believe every family is dysfunctional, but I would say um, we were probably more on the functioning side of dysfunction. Uh, so pretty normal, healthy childhood, I would describe. Uh, at the age, or seventh grade, I began realizing I had, I was attracted to my own sex. I was attracted to men. And didn't know what to do with that. Being a Christian kid, growing up in church, accepting the Lord at age seven, started reading my Bible, praying, and God didn't change that desire. You know, I did all what I thought I would, that you, a young kid should do. That didn't really work. I shared with a, a youth worker up at Forest Home and said, hey, I'm struggling with this. She had me tell our youth pastor, met with him a couple times and just probably got brushed under the carpet and kept moved on with life, going to Christian schools, what have you. My sophomore year in high school, um, started really realizing that, hey, this is, you know, I'm not attracted to girls. What am I going to do? Um, God's not changing, healing me. So told my youth pastor, he's recommended I share with my parents. Uh, went to counseling. Counseling was awesome. Helped kind of not only understand a biblical worldview of marriage and healthy heterosexuality, what that looks like, but understanding some of the complex issues with same-sex attraction between the father-son relationship. So I went on this path for a while. I was very quiet about my story. I didn't really share it with anyone except my folks and obviously my therapist. Um, so kind of started, just led the normal Christian life, went to Christian university for undergrad, got my undergrad in international business and economics, Little, lived and traveled the world, been over about 40 countries uh, for work, church, humanitarian, and pleasure. Um, but when I was based in Bermuda, I was working for an employer, and we were traveling globally, and he accused me of being gay, and he fired me. So he came back to the United States, and I just said, well, you know what, God, if I'm going to be ostracized for something that I'm dealing with internally, I might as well just come out, and so I came out in Portland, Oregon. Um, was in and out of the lifestyle for a while, but was so desperate, uh, wanted to love and be loved, I didn't want to be lonely, and wanted to have, you know some type of relationship, I pretty much went into the homosexual lifestyle full-time. Uh, I met a man online. Uh, he was HIV positive and hepatitis C positive. I really didn't care. It's how desperate I was. 
Um, thank the Lord God has spared me from those two uh, term, terminal illnesses. But um, yeah, that's how broken and hurt, hurting it was just to want to be in a relationship. Um, so he and I were together for three years. He was an artist. We had a business in Palm Springs. Did quite well. We sold art. The low end was about $1,000 a piece. High end, about 30000 So we dealt with the... So, you know, we were well-to-do. I'll say that. Um, one night, we got in a fight, my partner and I, and literally overnight, I lost everything. He switched our bank accounts. And you know that? You can go in the bank and either take the money out or take someone off an account. So I had no access to any of our cash. And then he filed a restraining order. So I had no access to our bank accounts, and then not, not even to get checks that were coming into our business because I'd get arrested for in violation of a restraining order. So all this is going on, and I found myself homeless, no place to go, and some gay friends of mine owned an apartment building, and they said, hey, we'll give you a room. You can come, you know, stay here till you can, you know, about, for about a month till you get back on your feet. And that night was June 8th, 2002, um, almost uh, 16 years ago. Uh, I had nothing. I woke up the next morning and I was like, well, I don't think he canceled my gym membership. So I was gonna go to the gym and work out. And on a public street in downtown Palm Springs in uptown, uh, there was $5 laying next to my car. And I picked it up and uh, the Lord said, I took care of the Israelites when they were in the desert and I'll take care of you and yours. That was the first miracle of many to begin. Um, where do you go for breakfast, Doug, when, uh, well, you know the answer now, but so you can't answer. Where do you go if you've got five bucks for breakfast? Denny's. Who said Denny's? Couple. <laughs> That's where you go. Grand Slam breakfast, $2.99. Come on, have a little bit more class than McDonald's, you know? So, um, but I don't have any problems with McDonald's anyway. Um, but went to Denny's and I, I, ironically, after I paid, you know, got the $2.99 and a little bit for a tip, I told the manager, he probably thought I was nuts, but I'm like, I have to tell you this miracle just happened. I didn't have any money and God, you know, gave me $5. And one of my gifts is evangelism, so I don't mind telling people about Jesus or I love to do it. But it was just, that was the beginning. But yet still down deep inside, there was a part of me that says, I'm still a homosexual, I'm still gay, and this is who I am kind of a thing. And my Christian friends who reached, I only had two really that reached out to me when I was in the lifestyle. Um, and the two of them are the ones who visited me in my sinfulness. You know, did, do you guys know anyone in the Bible who Jesus hung out with? You know, Jesus hung out with the, the sinners and tax collectors. Well, they were the only two Christians that would come visit me. That was the only Jesus I saw for about three years. Um, never, didn't want to go inside of a church. You know, one, I don't want to be convicted. Two, I don't want to be, go, you know, hang out with a bunch of Christians or share what I've been doing. And God used them just really part of my healing restoration process as well. Uh, Doug asked me this question, and I had another Christian friend that said, hey, you know what, I heard what you're doing because I was going to stay with them in Dallas. I was traveling, and they uninvited me to their home. They said, you know, you can't stay with us. We don't, we, you can't, we don't want that around our family. And that really, that really devastated me. But that was the response I got from college friends I knew, had known for, you know, 10, 15 years. Um, you know, I, those weren't the people I called when I came back to the Lord. Mm. There was my two friends, my best friend from college and another friend who called. She'd call and ask me, how can I pray for you? You know, I'd say, you can pray for my partner, our relationship. And she's probably rolling her eyes in the back of her head. But I'm just saying, yeah, you can pray for this. You can pray for our business. And one day she said, Jim, have you been reading the God's word? Been reading the Bible? 
And I, I'm actually surprised I was this honest, honest with her. I said, no, I'm afraid it'll change me. Hmm. That was that, a valid fear. Yeah, no kidding. Be careful what you read. That's right. Yeah. How, how'd your, how did your family deal with all of this? So it was pretty devastating, to say the least. Um, I remember I told my sister, she just started bawling. Actually, she was at Cal State Long Beach at the time. And uh, I told her over the phone, and a roommate took the phone from her and said, who is this? Don't ever call here again. Because that's how she was just in hysterics. Yeah. She didn't, they, the, the roommate, her roommate had no idea what was, what was just told her. Uh, my family, my mom and dad had a, sat me down at the dinner table and said, son, what's going on? You've been very in and out of the house. You don't spend time with us. You're always gone. You don't talk about anything. What's going on with you? And I was kind of embarrassed and probably sheeplessly said, I met someone. And my mom said, you know, they knew, but my mom said, was it a man or a woman? And I said it was a man. And they just lost it. Hmm. Set up some boundaries, um, which at the time and through when I was in the lifestyle, I'd read in the riot, riot act, like, how dare you call yourself Christians? You say you're about love and Jesus and all this, and you won't allow my partner to come over to the house. He can't come over for Easter, Christmas, you know, any holiday. They were really strict with their boundaries. And um, looking back, I see how they had to handle me with kid gloves. I think it was the wisest thing they did mm. to say, you know what, this is how God expects expects us to live, and we want to honor that in this home, and when you're with us, we're going to ask that you do the same. So they didn't reject you, uh, they just rejected the sin in your life. E correct, but I took it as they say. completely rejected me, yeah. but that's just part of the area of brokenness with your sexuality, because it gets all, your identity gets wrapped up in your behavior. Yeah, I think that's a really important point that he's making. Uh, one, of the, one of the issues in, in sexual sin of all kinds, but particularly in the, in the LGBT community, is that the, the, one of the big lies is that what you do sexually is who you are. It's your identity. And, and when, we, when we get wrapped up into thinking my identity is this or that or the other thing, all of those things are going to leave us uh, frustrated and discouraged and lost until we realize that our identity is in Christ. Amen. That, that if you know the Lord, the scripture says you are a child of the king. That, that's who you are. That's, and, and so the particular struggles that you have, the particular temptations you face, those are not what define you. We were talking about this earlier. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. We talked about this when we were discussing the subject a few weeks back. But, um, you know, it lists these people and, and it says these people are not going to get into the kingdom of heaven. And, and who are these people? Um, idolaters and liars and drunkards and effeminate and homosexual and fornicators. And the list goes on and you go, wait a second, these people are not going to get into the kingdom of heaven. And it seems kind of dark and bleak until you read verse 11, which says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified by Christ. And so he makes you new. And your identity when you come to Christ is in Christ, regardless of your struggles, regardless of where you come from, regardless of where you've been. Your identity is in Christ. And what can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? Nothing. Nothing. Amen. Nothing. So we got we to gotta remember that and, and keep that straight. So, 
you, you turned to Christ and the Lord just began to work in your life, where did it go from there? So um, I still had this thing in me. I still am a homosexual. I'm still gay. I'm still going to do this. And as the Lord would do it, the, the, one, of the, one of my best friends from college, Chris, he um, said, hey, Jim, why don't you, um, we're going back to the farm this summer. Why don't you come with us? So I went back, flew to Pennsylvania for three weeks, did hay, rode the tractor, you know, kind of did all that stuff and started going to church, a church, little tiny podunk church, Moreland Baptist church somewhere in who knows where, Pennsylvania. And uh, God just began restoring and healing, just, you know, be, being in a right relationship with men. My parents said, why don't you come back home? That was the last place on earth I wanted to go. At age 28, I've traveled the world, been over 40 countries, had my own home, my own business, and now I'm going to move back home with mom and dad. Well, as God would, as God has things, I was able to re, rebuild my relationship with my dad, hmm. which is a key component with those dealing with same-sex attraction, the relationship with the same gender parent. And God allowed that relationship. I got to live with them for, what, maybe four or five years and just really reconnect so as a grown man, lost things that I never had or didn't have with my dad. And so that was uh, part of my restoration process. I went, to, I went to a couple different churches. I couldn't get enough Jesus, I'll tell you that. And I went to three different churches' men's groups because I really was just hungering for healthy male heterosexual relationships and what that looked like what God intended and not inappropriate or physical. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was part of the healing journey. And then there's a ministry called Desert Streams Ministries. It was uh, Andy Kaminsky bird that ministry out of Vineyard Anaheim. It's now an international ministry that helps those dealing not only with uh, same-sex attraction, but lesbian, bisexual, transgender, other sexual sin issues that the church may not be as equipped to deal with mm -hmm. and really begin understanding the root causes of same-sex attraction. And with that and the counseling background stuff really was part of my healing and restorative process. Mm -hmm. So... Um you just introduced us to your wife and kids. Yeah, so how does that happen? Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you go from, you know, homosexual to heterosexual? Well, um, it's part of this, also my faith journey. You know, I begged and pleaded with the Lord that uh, he would change me, and he didn't. I went to seminaries where we met, and, you know, I wanted to get fixed. I wanted God to change this. And I remember being in the Garden of Gethsemane in 2007 and asking the Lord. Do you, do you mean literally you were in Israel? Yes, I was in Israel, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, no, no, yeah, not figuratively. Yeah, yeah I'm like, yeah. I, he said that the first service, I go, I don't know what he means. But. Yeah, no, I was literally in the garden and asking God, why me? Why don't, why don't you take this away? I've been to seminary. I've, I've been with all these pastors. Where else can I turn to? You know, you can only go so much in academia. And uh, the Lord said, who else asked three times to have a cup removed from him? And I'm like, Sometimes I'm pretty dumb. Um, I'm like, oh, yeah, Jesus was here, and he asked, you know. And Scripture in Matthew's account shows Jesus asking the Father to, to, uh, to you know, not, not, not to do this, take this cup from me. And Scripture doesn't even show the Father responding. It's like it's a one-way conversation. But it's Jesus' response is always not my will, but your will be done. And then I'm like, okay, God, but that's Jesus. That's you. That's God. That's, you know, I'm not, it's not, that ain't me. And uh, the Lord said, who else asked three times that this thorn in his flesh would be removed? At least scripture records God responding. 
And God's response to the Apostle Paul was, my grace is sufficient, my power is made perfect in weakness. And it was kind of there I had this aha paradigm shift experience that, okay, my burden, my struggle, I'm going to focus on it being a blessing and not a curse. And not kind of, again, not making that my identity or the, the reason why. And so that was pivotal. But I started dating in 2005. So that was dating a couple women. years. Dating women, yes. Thank you for the clarity. And in 2005, I remember I was driving down... Um, Yerba Linda Boulevard, and the Lord said, when I heal you or restore you, you can't lust after women like you've lusted after men. It's still a sin. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I know that, but, you know, it's, sometimes it's helpful to be reminded. Um, and I started dating, you know, women, tall, short, fat, skinny, white, brown, black. I mean, I, you know, godly, ungodly, ones that just wanted to have sex with me. I didn't. And, you know, ones that wanted to wait to marriage, and I just wasn't finding the right one. And I just said, you know what, Lord, I'm just going to focus on you and your kingdom, um, and that's what I'm going to do. And then as uh, I think I'm going to write a book, or I'm planning to write a book called The Divine Mistake, because APU mailed my diploma, where we both went to. They never got my bills to the wrong address. Yeah, I know. The funny, money right? Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah, me either. <laughs> the, uh, the money always got there, but yeah. not my diploma. got mailed to the wrong address. And it got returned to the university. I got a phone call. I was on pastoral staff. And I said, hey, your diploma got returned for your Master of Divinity. What do you want to do? I said, well, I work really hard for that. On my lunch break, I'm gonna drive, I'll drive up and get it. Well, as the Lord would have it, the divine, another divine mistake, Amanda, my wife, um, managed, she was a director of the graduate client services, so her office is in the back. She had a team of people in the front who dealt with clients. Well, Amanda just happened to be behind the front desk when I walked in to get my diploma. And she said, this looks like this is meaningful to you. Take it out. Read it. So I read it, and she, I looked up, and I said, this is a miracle. I said, I came out of the homosexual lifestyle. I just bought my first home. I'm a pastor, and now my master divinity. And she looked me in the eye, and she said, it sounds like God has restored the years the locust have eaten. And I'm thinking, okay, who's this chick behind the counter quoting Joel chapter 2, a minor prophet in the Old Testament? Christians don't know their Bible that well. <laughs> Who is this? And is she, you know, and this is, of course, I'm not verbalizing this. This is going through my head. And as she's sharing, I just see Jesus in her eyes. And I wanted to find a woman who loved Jesus more than I did, and that's really hard to do. And so I kept talking to her, and I was like, wow. And then she goes, I've got friends in the lifestyle. And I said, how do you have friends in the lifestyle? She goes, well, I'm a semi-professional musician. It's kind of, you know, it's in the industry. And I said, don't ever stop praying for them or fasting. That's what my family did mm. for me. Mm. And then I got her number. Yeah, <laughs> <And> a boy. <laughs> and then I called her like the next day, and she says, and then her secretary or whatever, assistant, answers the phone. Oh, she's, you know, they ask who's calling. Oh, she's in a meeting. I'm like, you know, okay. It was nice meeting this gal. It's never going to happen. Well, she called me back, <laughs> and I married her nine months later. So, Yeah. yeah. I All you say, romantics can clap for yeah. that. Yeah. Well, and it was fun. This is a really, this was a kind of a pivotal thing. You know, I had said, you know, okay, Lord, your kingdom kind of stuff. 
Um, during, when, when the people of California changed our state constitution, Article 1, Section 7.5, that only a marriage between a man or woman is valid, that is still the state law, and that is still lawful in the state. When we, the people of California, passed that, Amanda and I were at the victory party, and we were photographed. We were dating. She actually was living here in, um, in Monrovia, just about, I think, a city over. Mm -hmm. um, but our photo got published. We were standing up. We were excited that the people said only marriage between a man and a woman is valid or recognized. She started getting hate mail, as did I, you know, from the people who say they're tolerant mm -hmm. and, and preach tolerance. We got hate mail and all kinds of stuff. Phone, we got all types of threats. We had to file police reports because of the threats coming towards us. And I, what I realized then is she never wavered. She stood next to me. She was only my girlfriend at the time, but she never wavered. She wasn't afraid of what was being done to her at her home or the threats coming to her at Azusa Pacific and everything. And so it was really just, I'm like, who is this woman who just loves the Lord and isn't afraid to stand for righteousness, even if it's not popular to do in culture? Yeah. Amen. So... We're going we're gonna to kind of shift gears and talk politics in a second, but um, let me just kind of wrap up what Jim's been sharing with a word of encouragement. Um, I'm thinking of two different kind of groups of people who, who might need to hear this. One is those of you who love somebody who's caught up in a lifestyle of sin, whether, whether it's drug addiction or it's sexual sin or, or you know, crime whatever the issue might be, your child, your brother, your, your friend, guys, do not give up. Amen. Keep praying. Keep reaching out. Be the person that when their story changes, they will say, yeah, I had two Christian friends who kept reaching out to me and you were one of them. Um, the Lord, you never know how the Lord might use you. God changes lives. A lot of us know that to be true because we look in the mirror every morning and we go, wow, look who God is making me. God can do that in the people that you love as well. And the, the second group that I have in mind is, you, know, you may be sitting here or listening to this online, and, and you may be thinking, you know, Jim's issues of sin and same-sex attraction, that's not my issue, but, but man, I am just enslaved to something else. Whether it's fear, anxiety, or lust, or, or uh, drunkenness, or, or drugs, wh whatever the issue might be. You guys, God hasn't lost sight of you. He, he knows where you're at. Amen. He knows what's going on. And his heart is for you. That's why Jesus came to pay the price. So be encouraged, guys. Don't give up. The, 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 the changes in this man have been amazing. God didn't didn't just help him. And, and he shared earlier, and, and I really want to change topics here, so I'll, I won't get back into this, but he shared earlier that, you know, that doesn't mean that there's never a moment of same-sex attraction temptation for him. He's married with kids, and yet still there's, the enemy knows where to tempt us. And yet he is fighting and winning that battle because that does not define who he is. Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit defines who he is. That's the same hope we all have. So Amen. don't lose that hope. Let's, let's change and talk about politics. Um, what is Church United? And, and how does it, what does that have to do with Christian citizenship? So Church United is a 501c3 organization. We're a nonprofit. And kind of the heart is to um, transform California government for Christ. 
um, plain and simple. Um, you know, it's, I love it. You're doing, the, I'll call taboo topics, these, mm -hmm. you know, awkward topics, uh, religion and politics. You don't know, talk about that and you've, you've thrown in sex and money in too. So it's, you know, I love it, the, the boldness and the areas in which you're speaking because a lot of people will share and pastors. So we primarily, our, our target audience are pastors, California pastors. And many will say, oh, we don't, we don't talk politics in the church. We don't do that. You know, we, all, we only talk about Jesus. And I ask pastors, really? What Bible are you reading? <laughs> Seriously, what Bible? You, what's, tell me, we're not allowed to talk about this. You ever hear the book of Esther or the story of Esther? She saved the Jewish people. She interceded on behalf of the king. And that was a woman. In that day and age, women had, had no value. And she risked her life. And God said, if you don't do it, I'll raise someone else up. But she was obedient. And look what happened. Ever hear the story of Joseph? The most, second most powerful man in the known world at the time, only next to Pharaoh. And they saved the world because God spoke to him on how to do that. And they listened. I think Mike Pence is a, is a modern day Joseph. Think about that. Ever hear of Daniel? Refused to bow down? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Nehemiah? Find a book in the Bible that doesn't mention the government, the most powerful leaders of the known world at the time. Find one book. Oh, Jim, that's the Old Testament. That's old news. We're only about the New Testament and Jesus. What do we just pick and choose what we want out of Scripture, like some churches in America have done regarding this issue? John the Baptist called out King Herod on a homosexual, no, no, wait a minute, on an, a, an adultery, heterosexual issue. The most powerful, richest man and paranoid man in the, in the known world, King Herod, John the Baptist said, the woman you're sleeping with is not your wife. And it literally cost him his head because he feared God and not government. The book of Luke, most excellent Theophilus, verse one, first book. All the writers, when you study scripture, they, in the first, you know, first sentence, they say who their audience, who you're writing to. You learn this in seminary. Most excellent Theophilus, probably a very high-ranking Roman official. Think about that. A whole book, the gospel, to one government official in the New Testament. Let alone countless. Look at Paul. Look at Paul dealt with the Epicurics, the philosophers, the Stoans, the, uh, the uh, Stoics, and the government courts, judges, he's a, and used his citizenship to advance the kingdom of God. Church, why have we been asleep? So this Church United is helping pastors see and awake, and we're watching them awaken yeah. as, we take, as, I, as we take pastors to Washington, D.C. and Sacramento. Now, Church United, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, you started just two, three years ago taking pastors. How many did you take? Now, Church United takes groups of pastors from California to Washington, D.C. and to Sacramento to interact with government leaders. The first time you went, how many, what, what year was that and how many pastors? Well, I went with a couple different organizations mm -hmm. and I couldn't get one pastor from California to go. He said, we'll, we'll pay your way. We'll, we'll get you there. It doesn't cost you anything. So in 2014, Amanda and I took $6,000 out of savings and we sponsored six pastors. Took him to D.C., and it's grown. That was in 14 with six. In 2015, we took 27 to Washington, D.C. 2016, 70. 
And then this last year, 2000, uh, wait a minute, 2017, we took 157 California pastors to Washington, D.C. So I mentioned that to show you that this is something God's doing. This is, this is a movement. Those pastors did not pay. Their churches did not pay. The Lord just raised up the funds so that these pastors can, can interact with their leaders. And you say, well, wait a minute. Should pastors be wasting their time, you know, in the halls of the Capitol? Well, a absolutely. What does the scripture say? If you, if you look in 1 Timothy 2, he says, listen, first of all, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for your leaders. I want you to be involved in lifting up your leaders. I want you to be interacting with your leaders. First of all, that's what I want you to do. And, and I, I just want to challenge you because a lot of us as Christians, and, and I'm right at the front of this, a lot of us as Christians, we say, yeah, that's my involvement in, in politics. And I pray for my leaders, you know. So election time, Lord, please help the president, you know, let the election go my way. That's how I pray for my leaders. And, and I was challenged just this last month in Sacramento. Jim and I were in Sacramento together, and there was a pastor sharing, and, and he said, you know, I, I used to tell people I pray for my leaders, and when I said that, someone said to me, really, why don't you name for me your city council members? And he couldn't name one. And when he told that story, I started going, There was two or three city council members. I couldn't even think of their names. And if you asked me, I'd say, I'm praying for our leaders. They work across the street, by the way. That's city hall. It takes me, I don't know, 60 steps to get there from here. And, and I say, I'm praying for my leaders. The Lord has called us to this. And, and I've been watching uh, what God's doing with Church United. It's not about Church United. It's about what God is doing. Amen. But... But I've been watching what he's doing as this number of pastors is growing. These pastors are getting together and starting to pray for their city. There are numerous cities now in California where the pastors are running for city council and school board and winning those elections. And those cities are changing for, for the glory of God. So it's just an amazing thing to watch as people are getting involved and the Lord's just sort of waking up the church. So I like to practice what I preach. You know, I'm really big at that. And I began a relationship with a gentleman by the name of Philip Chen, who was running for California Assembly and lost back in 2014. Uh, I think he's actually starting in 2012, 2014. But this last election cycle, 2016, he got elected and won. Well, because I was in relationship with him and he came to speak to some local pastors in his area, and some of you might even be, I know Lester, was someone, uh, someone lived in his district, um, he kept using this word faith and faith, and I'm like, oh, I, th I thought he was a believer. I just thought he was. And I, we, he said, yeah, Jim's my spiritual uh, mentor, spiritual uh, advisor. advisor is what yeah. he used, yeah, the terminology. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, okay. And he said that kind of in front of all these pastors for the first time. We go and have lunch, and I'm thinking, I don't think this guy knows Christ. So I said, hey, have you ever accepted the Lord in your life? You heard my story, how he changed me. Would you want? He goes, I'd like to do that. And I'm like, do you know what I just said? Because if you do this, Jesus is going to change you. I mean, he changed my life and, you know, all this. Do you realize? He goes, no, I really want to do that. And you're a politician, by the way, Yeah, right? exactly. Like yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. You know, the whole thing. <laughs> we don't get involved in this stuff. What? It's about people. It's about loving people. It's about hanging out with people that, that Jesus hung out with. 
And so he accepted Christ. And what was kind of cool, with I, I, uh, Church United took over 100 California pastors of the Capitol last month. He got to tell that story to, to, the, whole, to the group. And then I got to tell all the pastors, I've got the, I've got the best assemblyman in the house. Anyway, it was, yeah. that was kind of fun. Yeah. Um, but it's great to, I mean, can you imagine if each pastor led their assembly member or state senator to Christ? And what, what Pastor Doug was saying, how do you do that if you don't even know their name? And Paul says, at least pray for them. How do we have even have any influence? So I'm watching God, just revival, really, awakening happening amongst the pastors and hopefully bringing, well, I believe revival has begun in California and I'd love for God to awaken the culture as well, yeah. that new people would come to know Christ. Yeah, and, and guys, what this comes back to, don't, don't miss the point here. Don't go, oh, what they're saying is we should run for office or something and I, that's not my calling and so you just shut it out. Listen, what have I been saying for the last three weeks? We are the light. Hello. <laughs> we are the light of the world. We can sit in this beautiful building and we can talk about how dark it is out there or we can get out there and be the light of the world. And that doesn't have to happen in city council chambers and state capitals and national offices. That could happen in the workplace where you work. It could happen with the soccer team that you're coaching. It can happen with the, with the person that you sit next to in math class. It can happen anywhere, but you have to be the light of the world. And, and you don't have to be a pastor to be a part of what God is doing. You just have to be willing to be involved with what God is doing. Amen. You just gotta say yes to God. And, and I want us, as, as a family at Grace Fellowship, I want us to be people who are in the habit of saying yes to God. I want us to be people who are in the habit of looking for where God is at work and joining him. One of the things I love about Jim's story and the story of Church United in particular, I mean, this, this ministry has grown out of nothing. Jim works out of his house. It's him and a part-time helper. And, and yet the world is getting changed. And so I just want you to understand, this isn't something that you go, well, Jim's a pastor, Doug's a pastor, of course they share. No, you guys are the light of the world. The same Holy Spirit that's in Jim is the Holy Spirit that's in you. Amen. The same Holy Spirit that can transform this guy from a guy who is defined by his sexual behavior to being a guy who is defined by Jesus Christ. The same power that did that in him is the power that works in our hearts. And so it's about surrendering to God. It's, it's not about anything else. And um, so as we wrap up, I just want us to, to think a little bit about citizenship. So sure. we, we as Americans have been given, um, you know, tremendous stewardship politically. We, we have rights and privileges that almost nobody in the world has. So what do you think, uh, tell us what your thoughts are about how to be a citizen of the United States of America, California, your local city, and all that kind of stuff while being a citizen of the kingdom. Sure. What does that look like for us to be ambassadors for Christ? Um, it's a great question. Uh, there's a couple of things. One, I, I will share, church, you need to vote. And you need to vote a biblical worldview. And um, Church United, we're not Republican. We're not Democrat. We're not Libertarian. We, we, we want to bring a biblical worldview to the culture. What does that mean? What does scripture say on the issues? That's what we want to represent. 
So one, if you don't know what that is, get in the Word, talk to a pastor, talk, get involved in a, in a, in a small group, in a life group, and figure out what does it mean to have a biblical worldview with these issues. And that is, what does Scripture say on the topic? All the answers are there. Um, and vote. As I was sharing uh, this last president, two presidential cycles ago, so in 2012, 18% of evangelicals voted in the entire United States. It went up 3% in this last election in 2016, in the presidential election, went from 18 to 21%. Can you define what you mean when you say evangelicals? So evangelical would be people like yourselves in this room all across America. Yeah, so don't so think... It's, it's, not, it's yeah. not Catholics. It's, it doesn't include Catholics. It's not including Protestants. It's evangelicals. Yeah, it's people who believe the Bible are born again and want to follow Jesus. That's the, When we're using the term evangelical, that's what we mean. Don't think, oh, moral majority or something. That's not, it's not any group or political entity. It's just people who are followers of Jesus Christ. And, and of those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, when we look at presidential elections, we're lucky if 20% of us vote. Now, how me, is that stewardship? And I'll even say this: you, you you're voting for candidates, okay? And you look at the candidates, and I would I would advise that you're going to want to vote for someone who's going to uphold probably the most areas to a biblical worldview. You know, where do they stand on life? Marriage is a great one. Where, where do you stand on marriage? You know, and if they're not good people, church, run for office, mm-hmm. run for school board. Run for city council. I, I tell that to pastors, but some of you here might, might have, let's say, an, 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 a background in education. You could be on a school board and say, no, we don't want that, that, that terrible um, sex education, which is just fornication, being taught to K through 12. That's happening in the state. You could stand up and say, no, this, I don't want this material. This is wrong. This is evil. And if the Lord hasn't called you to run for office, uh, A, don't be surprised if he does. <laughs> and, and B, get behind somebody that he did call. Yes. And, and support that, at least with your votes, if not with volunteering and donations or whatever. But there are many ways that you can get involved. Listen, let, let me be clear. And I think Jim agrees. And if, if you don't, you're welcome to speak up. But listen, government is not the answer. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying get involved in government so, so the government can be the answer. Let, let me share this, and this is a great segue to when we have members of Congress come talk to the pastors and even members for the assembly, it's kind of ironic. Do you know who gets lobbied? Are the pastors by the, the elected officials. Yeah. The, the U, United States senators from other states and members of Congress come to the, have spoken to the group of the 157 California pastors and said, we cannot change this country. Government can never change a country. It's going to come from the pulpits. It's mm-hmm. going to come from the people of God. And if you don't preach boldly from the pulpits, God's truth, God's grace, God's mercy, and the right way of living, America will never change. Because mm-hmm. it's got to come at the heart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when that happens, I'm like, I'm like going, my mouth is dropping. I'm like, pastors, are you hearing? You're getting lobbied by elected officials to preach boldly the word of God. Because that's where, that's, that's, that's where the transformation Because they're comes. there. They're there in the halls of Congress trying to, trying to fight these fights and get legislation approved, and they're running into dead ends everywhere. You know, especially in California, guys, almost every liberal bill passed. And I, by liberal, I don't even mean like bills that are for change. I mean leftist. Every leftist bill passes, 
and then every conservative bill drops dead. I mean, that's just kind of how it is unless somehow the Lord moves and, and people pass things. Uh, and so it's not that government is the answer. It's that we are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. And our world has a government that we get to be a part of. If it's by voting, if it's by volunteering, if it's by running for office, if it's by attending a school board meeting and sharing your, your view, whatever the issue is, don't buy into the idea that the church is separate from the state and the church has no right to be a part of what's going on in the state. We're the light of the world and we're called to that. So, you know, this is a calling for us to do that. So let me just wrap up. I feel like I would like to go longer, but we're out of time. So let me just kind of wrap this up by, by tr tying these two things together. We, we heard Jim's story about how the Lord has changed his life. And then we heard the story about what God is doing in politics among uh, those of us in California and how he's raising up people and well, the world is beginning to change that way. Um, the the two have everything to do with one another. The Lord has created us. He designed us. He designed us to flourish. And he's called us and empowered us to change the world. When we act within his design and we respond to his prompting, the Lord does through us what we could never do on our own. That's the point. And the point is whether, whether you need to surrender to God in some way regarding some sin in your life, as it was the case in Jim's situation, or, or, or whether you need to say, Lord, I'm going to step up and do this hard thing that you're calling me to, whatever that is. And for you, that might just be speaking up to your coworker. You know, it, it, it might be that you, you invite a neighbor over for dinner and get to know them. It, it, it could be any of these things, but, but the Lord calls us to have the moral courage to stand up and say, I am a child of God and I represent the interest of Jesus Christ. And wherever you are and however that works, don't be afraid to do it because there's nothing special, all due respect, about Jim. There's nothing special about me. Any other leaders that you look at and go, well, they could do it. Guys, you can do it. Every time I go to Washington or, or Sacramento or across the street, the, the, the thing that interests me the most is I meet these leaders, these people who sit in positions of power. You know what I discovered? They're just people. They're just people. There's, we can do this, church. We could be the light of the world. And I don't know how God's going to do it in your life, but just surrender to say, yes, God, wherever you're going to take me, I'll go. Start to have the mindset that says, I exist to bring light into the darkness. And watch what God does, because he will change the world through you. Amen? Amen. Amen.